As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. I am your host, the Doc Chat Matthews. Lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening... Doc says. Doc says. Uh, this is just what the doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the mania era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is to prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. This a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment and of the doctor's orders. On lordsofpain.net. On lordsofpain.net. Doc says. Hello and welcome to the Doc Says on LOP Radio. I am your host, the Doc Chad Matthews, author of the greatest matches and rivalries of the WrestleMania era and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening, once again, I thank you for making me a part of your day. Well, my goodness, folks. It's not really been that long, has it? It was but a few months ago that I sat in this very seat and disenfranchised as a longtime WWE fan beyond ready for the contemporary generation to stop being stifled by an obsession with the past. I said goodbye. Thank you again for all the nice comments about the farewell episode. They, they really did mean a lot to me. So let me first address the obvious question. Doc, why are you pulling a Terry Funk? Why are you coming back? Simply, it was not analyzing pro wrestling that I was ready to let go of when I dropped the mic and exited stage left last September. It was the negativity that I was ready to be rid of. Following WWE Weekly, being married to their schedule, it was no longer a source of exuberance for me. It was not something that I wanted to escape to anymore, but rather something I needed to escape from. I needed a break. Bottom line, it was hard to see what I might want to do someday until I just simply got away. Once I escaped from the monotony, I re-engaged with my 30-plus year fandom of professional wrestling, the fandom that drove me to want to write about it when I was introduced to this site lordsofpain.net back in 2003 and started writing recaps for SmackDown, Raw, pay-per-views when I eventually did the columns and, and wrote weekly and, and, and then eventually did this podcast weekly for five years or more. I mean, so, I mean, there was a, there was a, a true fandom that had just simply gotten clouded with a whole lot of negativity. Watching WWE became more of an obligation. Um, Certainly not genuine enthusiasm tied to it anymore. To achieve that purer kind of fandom meant changing how I watched the WWE product. It it meant for me, it meant subscribing to New Japan World and, and starting a journey through their vast history. I hadn't had time to dive in to New Japan, or at least I'd never actually made the time. My goodness was I blown away by what I watched. 
I made Wrestle Kingdom a priority for the first time, having invested time in the build-up to the signature matches. I went to a WWE house show with my six-year-old daughter and watched events play out through her eyes. I think the next day after that, I watched the All Elite press conference, announcing that a new, a, a new revolution, so to speak, was coming. The next day after that, I binge-watched some old 205 Live matches. A week after that, I got really into the Rumble build-up. And then after the dust settled on the January Classic, started watching New Japan again. So the rules I had created for watching wrestling, uh, I basically tore them all down and started over. I stopped feeling that obligation to WWE. I started embracing the changing landscape that is the worldwide pro wrestling scene today. And I found that I could do it in a way that fit where my life is at right now. So after appearing on the right side of the pond after the Royal Rumble and really thoroughly enjoying it, I met up with a very intuitive friend of mine who has a PhD in psychology. And she made the following comment. Something you used to be very passionate about. Your first love, really. It's calling to you. I knew exactly what she was talking about, but still, you know, there are, there are other things that I could have associated with her comments. I, th- I thought, though, immediately, she's got to be referencing wrestling. You know what she said next? She said, it's wooing you, and you should listen. Wooing, folks. She said woo, as if that didn't scream to me. Wrestling's calling back to you, man. So I asked myself, in the coming days that followed that, if I came back to the podcast world, and, you know, let's be honest, at this point, folks, everybody and their freaking dog has a, re- has a wrestling podcast right now. What are you going to do, A, to make sure that it remains fun if you come back, And B, what are you going to do to make it different than all the other thousands of podcasts out there? That was actually the pact I made with myself in 2010, speaking more from the column standpoint, when I was asked to write for LOP. And that's the advice that I always share with columnists. I just tell them, if you're going to make something out of the opportunity, then what are you going to do to be different? And how how are you going to make it fun? Because it has to really, it has to be for you. It can't be for everybody else because if you get caught up in the how many people are, are, are reading it, how many people are commenting, how many people are listening, you know, and all that jazz, then, you know, unless you get paid to do it for a living, if you're, if you're a Sean Ross Sapp or, you know, a Dave Meltzer, then, you know, those guys have to worry about that stuff because that's how they make their living. But as for folks like myself who, you know, yeah, I mean, I've written a couple of books about wrestling and, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time. It, it has to be more fun than anything else. And it has to be different, given all the, the, the various different options you guys have to spend your time. So I said regarding the podcast and a potential return, you have to bring that same mindset to the Doc Says podcast that you did back in the day when you started writing columns. And, you know, back in the day... Uh, you know, with columns, I did all kinds of stuff to make it fun and to be different. I wrote all sorts of different columns in all sorts of different styles and really had a ball with it. So I mapped out the way that this show would function and then basically decided that I would give it a try. So here's what you can expect of this show. Call it the Doc Says Mission Statement Moving Forward. We're going to have fun. 
We're going to focus on the good things and not dwell on the bad, which means we're not always going to talk about WWE (laughs) because most of the problems that they had when I left are still there now. Fundamental philosophical differences that just I don't jive with. So we're we're just not going to sit here and throw a weekly or twice to thrice monthly woe is me party about what they're doing wrong. So that means that some of you who got used to reading and later listening to my weekly thoughts on the WWE product are going to, if you choose to stick with me, and I hope that you will, be diverted away from the mothership to explore some other planets, if you will. There will be shows dedicated to New Japan past and present. There will be shows dedicated to WWE history. I just got tickets to the Crockett Cup in April. That's an old tag team tournament they used to do back in the NWA in in the Carolinas back in the the late 80s. Uh, Some tremendous tag team matches and a couple of classic singles matches came from those shows. I'm going to go to the one that's supposed to be headlined for, with an NWA title match between the villain Marty Skrull and Nick Aldis. But the tag team tournament's back, featuring talents from all over the world. That's going to be a blast. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going. It's going to be a blast. I'm going to talk about it here. We'll probably talk about things like that from time to time and backtrack to things like Lucha Underground here and there as well. Unlike in the past, nothing's going to be off-limits for reasons that go beyond just having fun with wrestling. It's just going to be strictly what's my passion sort of feeding into at that time, and that's what we'll talk about. There will be shows about All Elite, that much I can promise you. I'm excited about it. Usually I will try to blend a lot of that discussion into a single podcast, so you're going to get a little bit of everything more often than not, but the podcast will be streamlined and efficient, ladies and gentlemen. Those who remember the tight and compact Doc Says episodes of yesteryear that were roughly a half hour in length may be happy to know that I intend for this show to last between 30 to 40 minutes every week, probably skewing further toward 30 than 40, with the exception of one hour-long show per month that will feature a conversation about wrestling with someone. Our first guest will be Rich Latta on March the 10th. He's going to join me to talk about New Japan, their eventful first quarter of the year. That's actually going to mark the very first full-length conversation I've ever had about New Japan, so I'm excited. Next week, I'll debut what promises to be a regular, but not weekly, feature discussing the top five most interesting things from the week in wrestling. If you've followed me at all over the years, you'll know full well that we're going to get pretty analytical on this show at times, but I also solemnly swear that more fun will be had than ever before. So I hope you'll join me on this journey. I hope WWE fans that came to know me before the Sith lured me over to the dark side of the wrestling force in 2017 and 2018 as a voice that they could count on to celebrate the wins of the world's largest wrestling promotion will once again come to see me as that voice again. I hope that if you'll at least hear me out when I talk about other wrestling matters too, then that would be great because that's the thing I found while I was away these past four months. Wrestling matters, and I want to talk about it in a way that embraces the growth that wrestling across the globe has experienced. You're going to get the most passionate version of me possible. That much I promise you. And... So to put a a nice little bow on that part 
of the conversation. Why am I back and what are we going to do? I simply want to say this. On my final farewell episode last year, I closed it with a bit of a life message. And I would like to start this new chapter of the Doc Says History with a similar life message. And that message is this. Do what makes you happy. Do what you enjoy. And if you are doing something in your life that makes you unhappy and doesn't bring you joy, find something else to do. It's that simple. I am back because I enjoy doing this. I just kind of got lost in some of the crap that comes with it. And I'm not going to get back to that point again, I promise you. If ever I do, I may not have a farewell. I may just disappear. I'm going to schedule a couple of breaks for myself here and there just to give myself a little bit of a breather. Here, you know, I've, I've got one scheduled in, in April, for instance. So once the dust settles on WrestleMania season, I'm going to take a little break. So I hope that you will find this show to be fun, that it will enhance and enrich your wrestling fandom. And I thank you for listening. And now let's have some fun. One of the first things that I thought about doing when I decided I wanted to come back was to sort of merge together some of the things that I enjoy beyond wrestling and bring those themes into the wrestling world. For instance, we're knocking on the doorstep of here in the United States, the annual college basketball tournament featuring 68 teams, March Madness as they call it. I've done some other March Madness related type things in the past and you know if you followed me for a long time how much I enjoy listing things historically. This brings my passion for March Madness and wrestling together. I have collaborated with a couple of folks. I collaborated with Dave Fenichel, the internal optimist towards WWE in particular, with Rich Latta, who is a columnist at LOP and is the co-host of One Nation Radio on Wednesdays here on LOP Radio, reviewing Raw and SmackDown, and Zanman, the host of the Monday show Kingdom of Honor, which talks a lot about uh, things like New Japan. And we sat down, the four of us, in February, and we put together a list of the 64 best wrestlers in the world through their 2018 accomplishments. So I am going to introduce you to this concept momentarily and reveal what the brackets are. And in doing so, folks, I encourage you to let your voice be heard. In this particular tournament, your voice is going to matter. It's going to heavily influence the results of this tournament. I will say that it's pro wrestling, so there's going to be some pro wrestling things that are going to take place in this tournament that make it not only about exactly how you vote, but your voting, I promise you, will matter. So if you would like to help to help me out and take part in this 64-man best-in-the-world tournament featuring talent from all over the world, then please, I'd love to have you do so. The link is attached to the podcast on my page for this particular show on lordsofpain.net, and I'll be sending it out on Twitter, at the Doc LOP, if you want to look for updates, and, uh, and on Facebook as well, for those of you who I am friends with there. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to a little concept that I call March Mayhem. Wow. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chad Matthews, and welcome to the first annual March Mayhem Tournament to determine the best wrestler in the entire world. I'll be your host along this journey, providing you recaps and updates. In mere moments, 65 wrestlers will be revealed in four brackets, and in the coming weeks as we march toward one of the biggest weekends in professional wrestling, these men will scratch and claw toward the finish, with the winner crowned the world's number one wrestler. A selection committee gathered in early February to assess the 2018 resumes of the most talented stars from around the globe on their in-ring performance, their importance to the business at large, and their championship and main event accolades for their given promotions. From New Japan, to AAA, to Ring of Honor, to Impact, to Lucha Underground, to NXT, NXT UK, and of course the WWE, the committee took a well-rounded approach to determining the top 65. For female listeners concerned about representation, do not worry. This summer, LOP Radio will bring to you the first ever WWE Women's World Cup Tournament to determine the greatest female wrestler of the WrestleMania era. The first bracket has been called in, so let's get to the first round matchups. In the first bout of March Mayhem, it's the number one overall seed, Kenny Omega, facing the winner of the play-in matchup between the Undisputed Eras, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong. The victor will face whoever emerges the winner from the 8-9 bout between Mustafa Ali and Jay Lethal. In 4 versus 13 and 5 versus 12 matches with major upset potential, it will be Adam Cole against Rey Mysterio and Hiromo Takahashi against Andrade. The lower half of the Omega Regional pits familiar rivals against one another when second-seeded Pentagon Jr. faces Marty the Moth Martinez, the winner of which will do battle with the victor between seventh-seeded Aleister Black, who some say is criminally underseeded, and the tenth-seeded Finn Balor. Then, third-seeded Will Ospreay takes flight against the multifaceted 14th seed Drew McIntyre for the right to face either the 6th seeded Roman Reigns or 11th seeded Kushida. The potential is enormous across the region, as yours truly cannot help but be excited by potential future battles in later rounds. As we head across to the opposite side of the bracket, Johnny Gargano leads the way as the top seed and will square off in round one against Matt Taven of Ring of Honor. The winner will go on to face whoever emerges victorious when eighth-seeded Johnny Impact takes on Shinsuke Nakamura. Awaiting the victor from that foursome in the Sweet 16 will be from among the group that includes Cody, the fourth seed set to take on 13th-seeded Phoenix in round one, or Tomohiro Ishii, the fifth seed who will face 12th seeded Sammy Callahan. Further down Johnny Wrestling's region, third seeded Ricochet will battle the legendary La Parque, and awaiting the winner will be either sixth seeded Walter, now of NXT UK and considered one of the best in the world while somewhat controversially underseeded, as some might argue, or Jeff Cobb, otherwise known as Lucha Underground's Matanza Cueto. How fascinating will the 6 versus 11 matchup be? Who will survive when second-seeded Hiroshi Tanahashi clashes with super heavyweight Keith Lee of NXT? Or when the Velveteen Dream, the seventh seed, takes on Dolph Ziggler to round out the region? Dream has been pegged a potential Cinderella story, while Walter, Phoenix, and Johnny Impact all stand out as lower seeds who could make huge runs deep into the tournament. 
we could be in, if seedings hold, for another Gargano versus Ciampa match in the Final Four. But first, the top seed in the Psycho Killer region must get by Bandito in Round 1. Either Nick Aldis or Buddy Murphy in the Round of 32, and then one of the four from the following. Tetsuya Naito or Jordan Devlin, the 4 versus 13 matchup, or Austin Aries or Chris Jericho, the 5 versus 12. Y2J is very dangerous in the 12 seed spot against one of the primary reasons for the return to respectability of Impact Wrestling. Also in the region, third seeded Zack Sabre Jr., coming off a career year in New Japan that included winning the New Japan Cup, will have his hands full with Braun Strowman, who snuck into the tournament on capability rather than output, according to the committee's notes. Awaiting the winner will either be 6th seeded Miz or 11th seeded Cedric Alexander, who is no stranger to winning tournaments either. Matt Riddle then faces Cage in the 7-10 battle, and the second-seeded Seth Rollins looks to advance past Matt Jackson of the Young Bucks before attempting to back up his standing as the highest-seeded WWE main roster star. The final number one seed was awarded to Kazuchika Okada, who will have his hands full with NXT UK Championship Tournament winner Liverpool's number one Zach Gibson in round one. Rusev and Jay White will battle it out to face the winner of of the 1 versus 16 bout with a potential Okada White rematch from Wrestle Kingdom, an intriguing prospect for the round of 32. It would get no easier for the Rainmaker if he could advance to the Sweet 16, as one of Pete Dunne, Joey Janela, Daniel Bryan, or Hangman Page would await. The preceding four break down on the bracket as Dunne, Janela in the 4-13 and Bryan Page in the 5 versus 12. Brian's rival AJ Styles is the second highest rated main roster WWE star in the field as the third seed in the Rainmaker Regional, and he'll face 14th seeded Tyler Bate in a sexy first rounder. The villain, Marty Skrull, will take his talents up against Juice Robinson in the 6-11 matchup. Then 7th seeded Samoa Joe will take on 10th seeded Minoru Suzuki in what promises to be a hard-hitting affair. The top second seed in the field, Kota Ibushi will face Nick Jackson to close out the first round. Will it be an all-NJPW Elite Eight, or will Chalk be wiped away in favor of Styles, Dunn, Skrull, or perhaps even a Cinderella run by Bate, who became the first WWE UK champion by winning a tournament? By the end of the month, we'll know the answer. Please check lordsofpain.net and find the Doc Says Podcast thread for the complete bracket and enter your comments. Click on the link provided and you can help influence the results as an armchair booker. Though be aware that this is a pro wrestler's tournament, so swerves and traditional pro wrestling angles should be expected. You can also look for updates and admit your rooting interests at the Doc LOP on Twitter. Thank you for joining me and enjoy the mayhem. Who will advance beyond the first round and get one step closer to becoming the best wrestler in the world? Tune in next weekend right here on LOP Radio to find out. So let's put the mayhem aside for now, and we will revisit that next week with first-round results. I've been gone for a while, so I want to do some rapid-fire dialogue before we close it out today on some of the most interesting things that have gone on in my absence, starting with the rise to prominence of Becky Lynch. Remember, on my last podcast, the farewell show excluded, she was about to challenge Charlotte for the SmackDown women's title at Hell in a Cell in September. I don't think I could have ever imagined that in the time since I was away, she would be mentioned regularly and legitimately alongside Daniel Bryan and Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
The big question on everyone's mind has been whether or not Becky's incredible run to the top should be rewarded with a singles match in the main event at WrestleMania against Ronda Rousey, or if fans should be collectively satisfied with her mere addition to the originally planned Charlotte Flair versus Rousey match. If you'd asked me about three months ago while I was on my break from WWE, I would have said that a triple threat was fine. After tuning back in and watching the situation play out, I absolutely think that Flair is superfluous from a storytelling standpoint. The people are demanding Lynch versus Rousey, and Charlotte is a clear-cut third wheel. I've heard some arguments in favor of the triple threat, but from the logical, it will help the match because Flair is in career form. To the, in my opinion, asinine, they have two months that they have to fill on TV, so they need a third personality. I find myself, in both cases, and almost all cases, in disagreement. I'd really like to see apologists stop making excuses for weird decisions. Come on, dude. Charlotte needs to be in the match because WWE can't be expected to write two whole freaking months of TV for Becky and Ronda? Get out of here, with respect. Where in the rule book does it state that they have to be on TV every week for two months? Personally, I thought the addition of the McMahons, while itself superfluous, was doing a good job of throwing added obstacles in Becky's way, though it did for my age group and perhaps beyond, create a distinct whiny millennial dynamic to the man's persona and threaten to push Lynch beyond her range as a character actor. But that was filling TV just fine. Nevertheless, the live crowds, you know, they were eating that stuff up. And, and frankly, once I connected with Becky's overall arc and ignored some of WWE's lousier creative tendencies, I was eating it up too. As for the quality enhanced by Charlotte's presence in a triple threat scenario, I don't think that's necessarily true. Ronda has never had a triple threat on pay-per-view or TV, and they are expected in this day and age to be pretty intricate. Intricacy and Rousey matches don't really go hand in hand, as that's not the basis for her work's success. I suppose we should all gear ourselves up for what will be, still, a historic three-way, likely, main event for the women's division at WrestleMania, and that's a big deal. And I suppose we should appreciate that there's rock-solid story to draw from, given how events last fall played out among all three. But I do believe that diehard fans will remember all the way up until bell time. Even if the match turns out to be a classic, I think they're going to remember all the way up till bell time that they once again were asked to compromise on what they wanted for what WWE would rather them want. This era has been the compromise era for diehard WWE fans, with seemingly every awesome organic thing stricken with a WWE-endorsed qualifier, and this time that qualifier's name is Charlotte Flair. One of the coolest and most significant things to happen in pro wrestling these past five months has been the announcement of and the proliferation of interest in All Elite Wrestling. My colleagues here on LOPR, Shane and Ms. Fan, have been doing a great job attacking this new entity from all angles, and I encourage you to listen to their show to fully immerse yourselves in all things All Elite. For me, I'm just plain excited about it. I think there are a lot of us who became diehard wrestling fans because of WWE, but WWE has steadily made it clearer and clearer that the desires of the diehard wrestling fan aren't a tip-top priority. And I think 
that the rise of AEW in part comes through the ashes like a phoenix of all the bad product-related choices that WWE has been making for the past 15 years or so. And when I say that, I mean the fundamental stuff, like roster positioning and upward mobility and the part-timer phenomenon and the lack of consistent focus on the mid-card and tag-team wrestling and leaning so hard into a character like Roman Reigns playing the hero when four years of sample size confirmed that a lot of people just aren't into it. AEW represents hope that a major wrestling company will look at every disenfranchised, die-hard wrestling fan dead in the eye and say, we freaking hear you, and we're going to create a product for you that reflects what die-hard enthusiasts want to see. And you know what? We're going to do it very, very successfully. They're, they're saying the right things, if you ask me. A product that focuses on wrestling and competition and wins and losses and making it sports-centric sounds to me like an Americanized version of New Japan, backed by billionaires. There's a market for this, and if you saw the attendance numbers for Double or Nothing in May, then you know that nobody except for WWE has been able to draw like AEW has drawn for its first show since the heyday of the Monday Night Wars. So why shouldn't we be excited? And why shouldn't we be excited for the wrestlers who will be paid well but not be expected to completely wreck themselves with ridiculous schedules all while not being offered benefits? I'm allowing myself to dream big about what this could be, and I'll get into that in more on future editions, but for now, I'll just more say, I'll just say flat out more power to them. I'm on board. I dig the card they're setting up for their May show, and I'm hopeful that John Dean Ambrose Moxley comes in like Mick Foley did in WWE 23 years ago and uses a platform that can creatively fulfill him to rise to heights that make the mothership wonder why the hell they ever failed to maximize Dean Ambrose's gifts. I'm very excited to see Seth Rollins slay the beast at WrestleMania 35. This is a philosophical battle as far as I'm concerned. Everything that I wish WWE was all the time versus the embodiment of the cancer that has afflicted WWE for most of the decade now. The health of the immediate future of Raw, the Universal Championship, and men's wrestling in WWE depends on Rollins beating Brock. I'll have plenty to say about Rollins as we get further down the road to WrestleMania. Jay White becoming the IWGP Heavyweight Champion was a curious decision to me. I just haven't been able to get into him since I started binging NJPW. They say he's got a very engaging character, which is very important. But NJPW is about what happens between the ropes more than any company I've ever paid attention to in my 30-year wrestling fandom. I am of the opinion that he's not ready for that spot, but who's to say he's long for that spot anyway? They have a history, from what I've been witnessing, of making decisions like this early on in the year after their biggest show of the year, Wrestle Kingdom in January, is over, and then usually by around Dominion in the early part of the summer, setting a course that then feeds into the following big Wrestle Kingdom cycle that includes the late summer G1 climax. So, you know, who's to say that Jay White's just going to be a champion for four months? They'll get him a, a lot of exposure to try to build him up in the absence of Kenny Omega there now, since Kenny Omega is now in AEW. As a, you know, New Japan's not going to have Kenny Omega there to bank on full time. So if Kenny Omega's focus is on AEW, then New Japan needs a top, a top 
you know, North American star, so to speak, to continue their rise. And I guess they think Jay White is that guy. But um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Elimination Chamber was last weekend, and the major talking point coming out of it for me was the same major talking point going into it for me, which is Kofi Kingston springing to near main event status in a heartbeat. I'm pushing my chips to the middle of the table here, folks. I'm going all in on the New Day getting a huge, albeit random, push to the top for a bigger portion of WrestleMania 35 season opposite Daniel Bryan than he's already gotten. New Day has sold merchandise at a historically relevant pace for four years. They played a major part in tag team wrestling's modern peak on the main roster. They have remained over despite being plagued with a common creative tendency of next to no character development consistently across their peak. No mid-card act deserves a shot at the top more than they do. I think it would speak to the development of WWE's mindset and going with the hot hand. I think it would speak to the development of WWE's mindset toward roster positioning and giving guys who have reached a certain level a chance to step up to the next level. Surely you could make the argument that someone like Kofi Kingston in a more traditional setting ought to go through the mid-card paces for a singles title, but he's already done that. So we're kind of backtracking with Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston was a mid-card singles star for quite a while. And then the New Day happened, and he became a tag team wrestler as a part of this trio. This trio has earned one of them, if not all three of them, the right to get up to that next level. And, you know, the fact that we're talking about three African-American stars, well, that checks yet another box, because this is a, a very historically underserved part of the fan base in terms of representation at the very top. So I am looking forward to seeing Kofi Kingston potentially taking that leap. Plenty of wide open wide open space on the SmackDown main event side for someone to step up into. May as well be Kofi. He's earned it to me. The New Day collectively has earned that shot, so let's give it to him. All right, that's going to do it for the first edition back of the Doc Says here on LOP Radio. I appreciate every single one of you who downloaded and listened. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come back and be a part of LOP Radio again after a few months' absence. So leave me your feedback, preferably at the Doc LOP on Twitter, but you can certainly leave some comments in the appropriate thread dedicated to this very podcast on lordsofpain.net. Last but not least, before I sign off, please check out the rest of our lineup on LOP Radio. In my humble opinion, no podcast network offers better variety or more diversity in topics. On Mondays, talking about professional wrestling from the tip-top companies to lesser-known entities, it's Kingdom of Honor, hosted by LOP Hall of Famer Zanman. Tuesdays, the lesser-known pro wrestling organizations get the full spotlight as Jeff and Miz Fan host the Global Revolution. Available on Wednesday mornings, check out our weekly Raw and SmackDown reviews on One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. Then Wednesday afternoons, check out Samuel Plan's unique performance art take on the product with Sports Entertainment is Dead. Thursday, The Implications keeps the British flavor going with his weekly takes on the Perfect 10 Wrestling Podcast. Friday, it's LOPR's longest-running program, the one that has been here since day one and has kept on trucking for over a half-decade and counting, The Right Side of the Pond, hosted by Plan, Maverick, and Mazza. 
Saturday, the brilliant podcasters that brought you WCW The Legacy Series, Shane and Miz Fan, are now all about All Elite. Then Sunday, you can catch my show, The Doc Says, in the mornings. Thanks again for listening, and have an awesome week, LOP Radio Heads. This is just what the doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the mania era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is to prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. This is a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania era, the book. As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of color? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.